You might have guessed from my accent that I'm not from around here originally, uh, from Australia, and uh, people often ask, what is the difference, or what are some of the differences between here and Australia? And there's lots that's similar. I mean, most of the time I feel completely at home, uh, but just from time to time, something that happens that makes me re remember that I'm in a second culture, or a second culture for me anyway. And uh, that happened at our son's high school graduation a couple of months ago. Um, our youngest son, Jamie, he went to Vintage High School down here in Napa, and, uh, and we were excited to go to the graduation, my wife and I. Uh, we've both been teachers back in Australia, and so we've been to our share of graduations. Uh, we call them a speech night, uh, very formal. And uh, you know, every American high school movie has a graduation scene where they walk up and somebody trips over, and you know, we knew all about it. What, how different could it be? Um, there are a few differences. Back in Australia, every child wears a school uniform. Um, often with a tie and sometimes even a hat. Uh, back when um, Joe went to school, one of the schools ne nearby, the girls had to wear gloves as well as a hat. Um, that disappeared in about the, the late 80s. Um, they, they kind of grew up a little bit. But um, every speech day, every graduation was this very formal affair. Um, the school that I was teaching at, um, they held their speech day in the Sydney Town Hall. So it's the very center of the Sydney uh, business district this old uh, 1800s marble building, and uh, all the parents and the, the children would be seated silently, and then the ceremony would start, and the teachers would all proceed a procession down the middle. Um, I had to wear my academic robes, uh, so it wasn't the children wearing graduation gowns, it was actually the staff, the academic staff, and all the hoods, and those who had doctorates, you know, of course they have puffy hats on as well. And uh, that's pretty much school in Australia. It's, it's like Hogwarts and Harry Potter, if you think of it like that. Um, graduation here was a little bit different. Uh, walking into the football stadium, it felt much more like we were going to a football game than a graduation. Uh, there were people in baseball caps and, uh, and cowboy hats and woolen hats, and, and there were air horns. Um, that was a surprise. Uh, you don't get that in Australia. <laughs> Not in town hall, anyway. Um, and, there's, and there's, you know, big, big air balloons. The, the people in front of us had about 10 balloons. And we were like, can I see anything? <laughs> People had life-size cutouts of their graduates. I thought that was really fun. Um, I would love to see that in Australia. Somebody just pulls out from under the chair, you know. Uh, and the ceremony started, and these two soldiers in uniform uh, proceeded out into the middle of the field in full regalia, and I think they might have hoisted a flag. And then uh, they, everybody joined in singing the Star Spangled Banner, and then as the dusk was setting, it was very American, uh, we all said the Pledge of Allegiance, and it echoed through the bleachers, and it was... Pretty special, I'm going to say. I wasn't expecting it, especially given the atmosphere to start with. And this magical moment unfolded, and really I felt like I was part of something bigger. I was part of America. And uh, what does that have to do with our Bible passage today? Well, our Bible passage today comes out of a very different cultural setting, um, comes from a different culture. And, and when we look at it at first, we might not recognize all of the cultural references. Um, but when we immerse ourselves in that moment, we'll see that something much bigger was going on. A magic moment that's not just part of the story in the Bible, but a part of each of our own stories. So uh, that's what I'm hoping to show you today. Why don't we pray, and then we'll open up God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open the Bible today, will you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand the magic moment that happened on that hillside that day? Will you remember plans and promises and leave us with a feeling that we're part of something bigger will you speak to us today through your word in jesus name we pray amen 
Well, as I said, we are back in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been working through this Gospel for the last three years now, a little bit at a time, not the whole year. And uh, for the next 10 weeks or so, we'll work th- our way through 17 to 21, uh, a series I'm calling Kingdom People. Uh, these chapters are all about the culture and values of God's kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, these are not just cultures, though, for when we die. Uh, Jesus actually wants us to bring that culture into the world today, uh, to bring uh, to be on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and as the church, as Jesus' followers, we're to be kingdom people. That's what I'm calling the series. And when we live as kingdom people, God willing, the world around us will see the difference. They'll actually see what's going on. They'll experience the goodness of, the, of God through us. And our, and our prayer is that many of our friends and neighbors and colleagues will want to know more about Jesus because of what they see in us and in the church. And uh, they'll want to know more about the kingdom and also, God willing, they'll come to faith in Jesus and find the same hope that we have. So that's where we're going. But it all begins with a life-changing experience, the kind of experience that alters your perception forever. And uh, that's what we have in Matthew 17, 1 to, 3, uh, 1 to 13, our passage today, a story we call the transfiguration. Uh, what does that word mean? I'm going to start with a little story. My screens, I don't think, are going to work. They're not coming back, so you'll have to imagine what I'm about to show you. Uh, A couple of years ago, a young photographer in Chicago, um, she decided that she wanted to capture beauty on film. She wanted to capture beauty. And so she would go around it and meet people in the streets. And she'd say, is it okay if I take your photograph? Um, She's a wonderful portrait artist. Shay Glover is her name. And uh, she would take the first photo. And then while they were standing there, she would tell them, do you know that you are beautiful? And then she'd take a second photo. And, uh, and I'm sorry you can't see it. Probably the people on the live stream get to see this. But then the two photos, the people look a little bit suspicious in the first one. They're a little bit stern-faced. And in the second one, you just see their smiles light up and their eyes light up and their whole countenance changes. A wonderful social experiment it talked about. Um, of a simple, uh, simple compliment. Well, in our Bible passage today, we see Jesus' face completely change. Um, That's the meaning of transfiguration. Um, His appearance is completely transformed as something very special happens to him. So let's read from verse 1. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up this high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses, and Elijah talking with Jesus. Just to remind you of the backstory, Jesus had been traveling with these disciples and, and others for almost three years now. He'd been speaking to crowds of thousands. He'd astonished them with his teaching. And uh, with his teaching about the kingdom of heaven, he had performed miracles. He'd healed many people. He'd raised the dead. And uh, he was this massive celebrity. He was very much in the spotlight. But on this day, Jesus takes only his closest three friends, just Peter and James and John, this is inner circle. And he takes them up on this mountaintop with him. And when they reach the top, Jesus, as we read, is changed before them. He's transfigured, his face shone like the sun and his clothes were white like light. And I want you to picture in your mind, um, I want you to picture that in your mind. You know, if you were Peter or James or John, what, what would you think was going on? Well, it's kind of like the pictures of angels that we see in the Bible, isn't it? You know, these shiny apparitions that appear. Um, and that'd be a good guess that Jesus was like an angel. But um, every other angel 
angelic messenger, they come and then they go. You know, they don't, they're not born and live for 33 years and travel and, and that's just not what angels do. They come and they disappear. And so Jesus is not an angel. And we have to dig a little bit deeper into the Old Testament references to work out what's going on. So there are clues here in the passage. First, Jesus and his companions are on a mountaintop. A mountaintop was often where God met with his people. Uh, Old Testament key figures like Moses on Mount Sinai. And that's where God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments and all of the law that was to tell his people how to live. Uh, do you remember what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? Do you have any recollections? Really cool. His face, when he came down from the mountain, was radiant. I think it was probably shining a bit like Jesus's was now. There was something about him. In fact, he used to put a veil over his face because it was too off-putting for everybody to see this shining light of God's glory in his face. Uh, in Exodus 34, it says that Moses' face became like that whenever he entered into the Lord's presence. Prophet Elijah uh, was also somebody who met God on a mountaintop. Uh, Mount Horeb, this story in 1 Kings 19, you might know it. Uh, he hears or he expects to hear the voice of God and there's a storm and there's lightning and still no voice of God. But finally, the still small voice of God whispering to him. Come back to our story in the New Testament. There on the mountaintop with Jesus. Did you notice? It's Moses and Elijah, isn't it? Uh, men who'd been dead for more than a thousand years, but here they are, appeared before him. It doesn't tell us whether they were ghostly or in physical bodies. One day maybe we can ask them. So we have this shining face of Jesus. You've got the mountaintop location. You've got the Old Testament prophets of Moses and Elijah. And this scene is set for a theophany, an appearance of God. And that's exactly what happens. Skip down to verse 6 with me. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, we've got another Old Testament reference here, the cloud. Um, this is uh, the same cloud that went before God's people as they escaped from Egypt. It was the same cloud that descended on Mount Sinai when Moses was there and God was giving him the law. The cloud represents the presence of God, his glory descending upon his people and his voice speaking. That's what the cloud means, Exodus 24, 16. And so you've got Moses and Elijah. It's almost like God is rebooting the Old Testament. He's rebooting the Old Testament prophets and he's going to recommission them and relaunch them to uh, continue the promises about bringing his people into the promised land. It was the center of the Old Testament promises of God. And that's really what the Jews expected God to do in the last days. That's what they thought God would do first. They expected Moses and Elijah to return. Uh, if you have a Bible, the very last words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, they say, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. They expect Elijah to appear. And then God had given Moses similar prophecy for the people in his day in Deuteronomy 18.15. He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. And then he said this, you must listen to him. Ring a bell? That's what God said about Jesus. See, what, what is happening here? All the weight of prophetic expectation from the Old Testament, it's all piling up in this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is all that cultural references that we might not have spotted at first. Something big is about to happen. And God speaks from the cloud. Uh, verse 5, This is my son, whom I love. 
With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And these are the same words that God had spoken to Jesus at his baptism. Uh, But presumably at the baptism, only Jesus heard those words. But now for everybody standing on the mountain, the three disciples, they hear the voice of God. It is plain to them. Jesus is the prophet that Moses was pointing ahead towards. He's the one that would come like like Moses. Uh, The prophet who would bring his people into the promises of God and the one who would bring his people into not the physical promised land, but the eternal promised land. And all of the people there were to listen to him. This is the new voice to listen to. As great as Moses and Elijah were, they were just precursors. Uh, They were humans with an important job, but, but they were just people, but not Jesus. See, what we learn about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus is God's own son, God himself declares it from the cloud. And he declares it to the, to the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. The ones who'd brought the message of God to the, the Old Testament people. He declares it to the apostles who are the messengers of the New Testament. And he says, listen to him. See, God's glory is no longer just a reflection in the face of the prophets. Jesus in appearance tells us that he himself is the glory of God. He himself is the presence of God amongst his people. Jesus himself will speak the words of God. He will call his people back into repentance. He'll call them back into the kingdom and back into fellowship with God. Jesus is God in the human flesh. Come to dwell amongst us and to speak to us. Have you ever had um, a a moment, we call it in in Australia, maybe my New Zealand friends say this too, a moment when the penny drops. I don't think Americans have this expression, do you? You know when the light bulb comes on, when you, when you have that moment of recognition. Um, in literature, Aristotle called this uh, a Greek word, anonorosis. It was meant to be up on the screen so you could read it. Um, you could look it up later, anonorosis. And uh, it means the moment of recognition that happens. And so the classic moment is in the play of Oedipus Rex, when Oedipus spends his whole life trying to escape a prophecy about himself, that he would kill his father and marry his mother. And escaping the prophecy, he ends up killing his own father and marrying his own mother. And he has this moment of recognition. I am not who I thought I was. Moment of recognition. Um, perhaps a more accessible example is in Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember in The Wizard of Oz? She spends the entire movie trying to, uh, trying to find her way home. She needs to find the wizard because he'll be the one who can bring her home. And finally she discovers him and the witch says, you've had the power all the way along. You could have always done it. You have the ruby slippers. Just tap them together three times and say, there's no place like home. (laughs) And she realizes something that was always there. And in our passage today, our uh, disciples, they have their moment of anonorosis, their own moment of recognizing something that was there in front of them the whole time, but they just hadn't been able to see it before. They've been traveling with Jesus for three years. But somehow they hadn't truly recognized him for who he was. But in this moment with the, 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 the glory of Jesus, uh, the glory of God shining in his face, the Lord and God's voice booming from heaven, this is the moment when they finally see Jesus. They finally recognize him. Eyes are open to see not Jesus the man, not Jesus the prophet, not Jesus the teacher, not Jesus the miracle worker, but Jesus, the son of God. They, they recognize him as Jesus, God himself made flesh before them. You know what happens in the Old Testament when people come in the presence of the the living God? They fall down upon their face terrified. And that's exactly what happens in our passage today, verse 6. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. They were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and he said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw nobody except for Jesus. Um, I think there are many of us who spend our lives a bit like Peter and James and John. Um, We've known Jesus for a long time. um, But have you had that moment of anonorosis? Have you had that moment of recognition? And that moment when you understand that Jesus is more than just a moral teacher, and that he's not just one of the voices amongst the philosophers and psychologists and podcasts that we listen to. He's not just one of those. He is the definitive voice, the voice of God. Jesus, uh, God says about Jesus in verse 5, he says, listen to him. The other ones, they're interesting, but listen to Jesus. See, Peter and James and John, they have this life-changing moment with Jesus, a moment when their physical eyes were opened to see what only the eyes of faith can see. They have this moment of spiritual clarity, a moment when Jesus is revealed to them as God. Have you had that moment of spiritual clarity? Do you know Jesus like that? Have Have you recognized Jesus as this passage reveals him? Because... Even if you haven't, and even if you don't want to, one day you will. One day Jesus will return, and everybody will meet him face to face just like this. And uh, whether you're prepared for it or not. And on that day, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will acknowledge that he's the Lord. Philippians 2, 10 to 11. And for those who've lived as enemies of Jesus, who've spent their life ignoring him or thought he was not that interesting, it's going to be a terrible day. It will be a terrifying day for them. But for those who've recognized Jesus, it won't be like that. It'll be just like what happened to the terrified disciples on that day in verse 7. Jesus will say, get up. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus doesn't want to terrify us. He wants to bring us into the goodness of God. He wants to bring us into the presence of God where all of the the goodness of creation is restored for all of eternity. And we see that idea in the last few verses in our passage. We're not going to go there, but Jesus wants what is best for us. He wants what's best for our families. He wants what's best for our community. Jesus wants to give us life to the full, as it says in John 10.10. And all begins when you recognize Jesus. Now, I know that many of us here know Jesus as Lord, um, but perhaps you're somebody who hasn't had that moment of recognition for yourself. Maybe today is the day that has become clear all of a sudden. Or maybe you need a little bit more. Um, If you are are still thinking, can I encourage you to join us this fall at Alpha, a six-week course where 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 we look at the person of Jesus and we get the chance to ask the questions about life and meaning and faith and how does Jesus fit into it all? Um, This is a great little course, um, six evenings, that could change your life. We hope you'll sign up. You can do that outside. But uh, just to finish off, there's a little part of the passage that I skipped over. Come back to verse 4. The three disciples are up on the mountainside and this uh, transfiguration happens. Jesus has the shining face and his clothes are, are, are... bright shining like that and the two greatest figures of the old testament show up moses and elijah and they're talking to jesus and uh, did you notice what peter was doing he was loving it he was loving it verse 4 peter says to jesus lord it is good for us to be here he says if you wish i'll put up three shelters one for you one for moses and one for elijah Um, peter was this fisherman 
You know, he's a practical, hands-on guy. Um, and I love the way that he offers to build shelters for, um, for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Um, maybe it's because Moses spent 40 days on the mountaintop with God. It says he didn't eat or drink. And Peter's like, well, if we're going to camp out, at least let's get some tents going. Maybe it was going to rain. I'm not sure. Or maybe Peter had in mind the things of this world. That's what happened just in the chapter before. Jesus said to Peter, you've always got the things of this world in mind. Expand your mind a little bit. It's kind of an odd interaction, but um, there's something profound in what Peter says. And I don't want to miss it in the awkwardness of the interaction. Look at the first thing that Peter says again. He says to the Lord, he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. Peter realized that being in the presence of Jesus, it was good. He recognized the goodness of it. He recognized the goodness of being in the presence of God. And I think he wanted to camp out. He wanted to stay with Jesus. He didn't want the moment to end. He didn't want to hang out with Moses and Elijah and Jesus for 40 days or longer. Who would want to go down from that? It is good to be here, he said. I wonder if you think about church the same way. It is good to be here, isn't it? It is good to be here in the presence of God together. You know, we spend time here at church. We ask God to speak to us. We trust that he's present by his Holy Spirit. It is good to be here. And uh, what about small group? Do you get together with your small group and you say, it is good to be here. Do you spend time together praying for one another? Or, you know, what about when you go out for coffee with somebody from church and, and, you, and you hear what's going on, you pray for them. Or maybe you're making a telephone call to somebody from church so you can pray with them. Maybe not doing well. Uh, maybe you're serving on a roster together here at church. It is good to be here. Perhaps you're part of the team that hands out food every month uh, to uh, the food pantry. Do you stop and think, it is good to be part of this. It's good to be part of what God is doing. It is good to be here. There is something special about being the church. Um, God, God has put his Holy Spirit in us. It's not like we need to turn up to church for God to turn up in our lives. He's always here by his Holy Spirit. But God hasn't made us to do this alone. We're actually made for church. We're made for one another. And uh, when we're together like this, we get a foretaste of what heaven will be like. We get a foretaste of the kingdom of God and a foretaste of the heavenly family and, and the heavenly banquet table and, and the heavenly worship. It is good to be here and I hope you want to be here. I hope you want to be here because this is the most important couple of hours of our week. A moment we're going to stand and sing our final song. But as, as we do, I want you to stand up and, and, and think as we sing. I know the words aren't going to be on the screen. Maybe you just need to listen along. But take that moment to say to yourself, to say to your heart, to say to God, it is good to be here. It's good to be here in your presence. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would pierce our hearts and that you would open our eyes to see Jesus as he's revealed on the mountainside as your son, your glorious son, shrouded in all of the glory that you have given to him as God made into flesh. We worship him. We pray for hearts that are turned to him. You haven't recognized him yet, that they would come to see that Jesus as the Lord. And we pray, Father, for all of us that we would recognize the goodness of being here in your presence. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.